by myself. Just make sure your phone is on silent, please, now that he's back here. Huh? I said make sure your phone is on silent, please, now that he's back here with us. Don't need a ringtone alarm halfway through. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to the Vineyard in Wycliffe. Uh, we're so happy to have you with us today. Um, good morning to everybody who's joining us virtually online. We're so glad you're here with us, too. We're going to start our service with some worship through our music today, and then Brent, question mark? Yep. Brent is going to bring worship through the word. Um, yeah, so I'm going to pray over us, and we're going to get started. We encourage you to worship in any way that you feel comfortable, as long as you are aware of your neighbors. Um, and we're just going to get started. So, God, we are so thankful to be in your community and in your presence this morning. Um, we thank you that this is something we get to do week in and week out. Um, just be with your fellow congregation, with your people, and to worship and praise you. I just pray that you touch the hearts of everybody who's here, everybody who's online, um, and you just help us to feel more of you, Jesus. 
As Teresa said this morning, you're a God of joy. So I just pray joy over all of us today. For anyone who might be struggling with joy, I pray that over us. And I thank you and praise you in your name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to get started. In full transparency, seven months pregnant makes it really hard to breathe. So if I stop singing, please keep singing. Just just lift your voices. It's going to be great. Um, I just am a little short of breath, so we're going to try our best. Okay. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. 
The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. Oh, my God will never fail. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. And there's power in the mighty name of Jesus. Every war he wages, he will win. So I'm not backing down from any giant. Cause I know how this story is. Yes, I know how this story is. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory.
victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Oh 
God, we thank you that your promises are always yes and amen. And I pray that over all of us that we truly believe within our hearts and our souls that what you promised is true and it is always yes and amen. Amen? Amen. Amen. How about it for that worship team this morning? Amen. Woo. All his promises are yes and amen. Amen. No matter where you are this morning, remember all of his promises. Remember. Remember. He hears and he knows and he is able. Uh Uh-oh. Wait a minute. I forgot something. Anyway, welcome to the Vineyard Community Church. We are so glad you could join us. We are so glad that you decided to come and be with us this morning here at the Vineyard and all of you at home. Our service today is streaming live on Facebook. Pastor Brent is speaking from our series, God Calling. Today's message is called Isaiah's Call found in Isaiah chapter 6. Grab your Bible or cell to look up today's text. You will also find it written partially in your bulletin, along with the section to take notes. I'm standing here laughing at myself, y'all. I want you to know. I come up here with, think I have the bulletin, and I have the, I have the announcements, and I have the bulletin. So, okay. Thanks to, thanks to all who helped make our cruise and car and bike show yesterday such a success. Who was here? Who was here? Woo! All right, Vineyard. Okay. It's a wonderful way to reach out to our neighbors and city. Here are a couple of pics from the event. Eyes on the screen. They were fast cars? Okay. Look at those cool people. Wow. Wow. 
Okay, the Food Resource Center is closed tomorrow, September 11th, for food box assembly. However, we need help on Tuesday with this month's produce giveaway. And everywhere I go, I see produce giveaway, Wycliffe Vineyard Community. So going to be a lot of people is out there. Um, for food setup, distribution, and cleanup anytime between 11 a.m. and 7 p.m., and especially from 6 to 7.30 p.m., we need assistance with cleanup. Ho, ho, ho. The 2023 Christmas for Kids or CF Key kickoff meeting is Sunday, September 17th from 12 to 2 p.m. Come if you want to be part of the team or would like to get involved in any way. Lunch is provided. Give us food and we will come, right? Check this out. On Saturday, September 23rd from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m., the Vineyard is having a drive-through pancake breakfast. More food. Donations accepted with all proceeds going to support Vineyard Outreaches. Scan code on the back of your bulletin to register. That's why I brought that bulletin. Scan code back here to register. That's why I brought it. Okay. Finally, don't forget today's offering. We have a small table set up at the back of the sanctuary for your offering or donate with Zelly, our Vineyard Council would like to share this video with you. They've asked us to, to say a little bit about giving, and I've been enormously blessed through my life. Even in the midst of losing a job due to recession, of having to close a business, through all that, God has been faithful. I think he's been faithful because I've been always been a faithful giver. The one thing I always tell people, if you don't believe that tithing works, try God. And I'm saying try. If you don't think you can do 10%, do 3% and see how God blesses it. And 5% and keep moving it up until you get to your tithe plus offerings. Plus offerings give more. You know, they usually leave important things at the end, and if you look at the book of Malachi at the end of the Old Testament, it talks about robbing God if you don't give your tithes and offerings. So please don't do that. Learn to tithe, learn to be blessed, and you will be blessed by God. Hey, Janice and Priya here. Just wanted to give a quick message about tithing. I was thinking the other day how I made a lot of adjustments to my budget in cutting corners, and I had an epiphany that one thing that I haven't changed is how much I tithe to the church. It comes out automatically from my paycheck. I set it up, and I never see it. I never miss it, but it is so important to continue tithing, and it has blessed us so much to know that we give to the church and give to something so much bigger. Right, Priya? I love to tithe. Uh, our Lupe isn't here this morning, but Lupe used to really speak often about tithing. And tithing is, is in, in offering, but tithing is so important. And you always think that I can, I'm going to miss this bill, I'm going to miss that bill. 
So I want to tell a real story real quick. One, uh, one time I had a bill that I needed to pay or something. I can't remember. And I said, Lord, please just don't, don't let whatever. And so he didn't let whatever. So the next time it came time for offering and tithing, the Holy Spirit said, remember? And I tithed double. I doubled. I doubled what I couldn't tithe that previous and what was due. God is so faithful. Just so faithful. Just try him. Try him. He is faithful, I'll tell you. So what I want to do now is everybody look at the person next to you and say, I'm so glad you came. And look at the person on the other side and say, I'm so glad you came too. I'm so glad you guys came. And now Pastor Brent will be coming up. This is a wonderful, wonderful community. If you're looking for a home, right here. God bless y'all. Have a blessed week. Love you.
something even more catastrophic that was happening to a whole country. And the country was Israel, and they had, they had had about 50 years of amazing prosperity, of just good things. They had a good king. A good, can you imagine that 50 years of a good politician? Wouldn't it be great? You know, like, like <laughs> but they really had. And um, his name was Uzziah. And, and he was, he just did everything really well. The, the Israel prospered more than, more than it had since uh, King David and King Solomon. Um, he built these magnificent, you know, buildings. Um, he had an army of over 300,000 people, so they were, they were kind of protected, people felt very secure, and, and everything was going really well. And, and, and the, the challenge with that, and even with us, is when everything's going really well, what tends to happen? We get complacent. We get complacent. We get really complacent. I mean, some of us are going, I could use some complacency. It wouldn't be too bad. Um, but the reality is that, that that's kind of the time that we're, we're looking at in Israel's history when this person named Isaiah is coming on the scene, is coming and um, is going to have a pretty profound encounter with God. And couple things this morning. One of them is, is I, I guess I want to challenge all of us to really look at our hearts as we do this. Because I think there's six, there's five chapters before Isaiah chapter 6. And scholars kind of debate why that is. Um, because usually when somebody starts in a ministry, they encounter God first. And then they start their ministry. So somehow, for five chapters, Isaiah's prophesying and stuff. But there isn't a, a deep connection with God up until chapter 6. And I think that's really interesting. And that may be some of you today. Maybe some of you have been coming, and you're kind of connected with God, and you sort of know who God is, and you can even tell the story of God to other people and about who Jesus is. But maybe you've never quite had that that in intimate, intentional, powerful encounter with the living God. And, and I'm not saying that all of our encounters with God have to be the same. They don't. My wife's encounter with God was very different from me. She's Norwegian, and so God had to meet her in a Norwegian way. You know, he spoke Norwegian to her. No, he didn't really. But he had to meet her in a different way than I did. You know, with me, and basically my first encounter, re-encounter re with God as I began coming back to God was a literal, I've told many of you about it, was literally a picture of me being pulled down to a grave and being sucked, about to be sucked in when I turned up and I said, help. So that was like my first picture of God. You know, people, people, people are like, so did God show you his amazing love when you first encountered him? And I'm like, Ah, no, he showed me being pulled into a grave, pretty much. And, and they're like, really? And they go, yeah, yeah. Because that was his amazing love. Yeah. If you're about to be pulled into a grave, 
it doesn't really do a whole lot of good to be shown something else, right? And so if you're a recovering addict, like, or a non-recovering addict at that point, like I was, I needed to see that. And that was, that was amazing love. That was amazing grace that pulled me out of that. And so, today we look at this passage and it's, it's um, coming in a time, and, and Isaiah lays that time out as a time when King Uzziah died. And again, I gave you a little background to King Uzziah. Israel didn't have a whole lot of really good kings, but this was a really one of the oh, there we go. But one of the problems that Uzziah had um, is that even he, towards the end, became complacent and began to kind of believe his own headlines. And so, even at the end, even he, one of the greater kings in Israel, had his own problems. So. Um, let's pray and then let's read the scripture. Father, um, this week has been really just an amazingly busy week, a week of a lot of hardship, a week for many, a week of um, a lot of activity, um, a week where we had a wonderful car show and were able to connect with our community. I want to thank you this morning for this community that you bring and your deep love for all of us. I want to pray that your words this morning would, would penetrate our hearts and that you would speak to us through, through this, what we need to hear, myself included. And I pray, Lord, that you would help me to, you know, in, in the midst of all this, in the midst of all the things that we've, Teresa and I, and many of us, the rest of us have had to do, you would give strength and energy to speak your words boldly as I should. Amen. So let me just start out with the text. It's in Isaiah 6, and Isaiah is one of the longest prophetic books in the Old Testament. So if you picture the Old Testament divided up into different categories, you have like what's called the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. And they really talk about the beginning of Israel's history. The beginning, if you want to look at this as like a meta-narrative, have you ever heard of the term meta-narrative? Meta-narrative just means the big story. Like if you're going to tell the story of the United States, it would be a big meta-narrative and you'd really need to start with the Indian or native people. And that would be the beginning of that meta-narrative. If you're going to tell a meta-narrative about the world, you would give this overarching picture of the world. Well, there's a meta-narrative in Scripture that starts, goes from the front of the book to the back of the book. In fact, there's, there's an amazing coherence to this book that was written by over 66 authors. One of the reasons I believe that it's inspired and is God's genuine word for us is just its coherence. There's an, if you get 66 people to write a book and they're each coming at it from different perspectives and they're each writing different aspects of it and they don't have connection with each other, they're not talking to each other, and yet when this whole compilation is done, it's amazingly coherent. You've got to think that there's some amazing divine intervention going on there, that God is, is, is molded and shaped this thing. Because, I mean, if you took all of us and we all tried to write a book about anything, it would be probably a big mess, wouldn't it? You know, it'd be like, you know, Peter would be like, how many wrenches are there? You know, we need more wrenches, you know, and the, 
anyway, I just thought I wanted to mess with Peter just once today at least. Um, so anyway, so, so this is part of this big meta-narrative. In Isaiah, the prophets in the Bible are the people that speak to the people in power. So the prophets are given by God to be people who, so in, in some ways they would be like, if, if, it wouldn't be bad to have them today for our presidents, would it? To have somebody who kind of stood over and above the presidents and spoke truth to power and stood up for the oppressed and the little people and all those kind of things. It, it wouldn't be bad, and there probably is some prophetic voices in the midst of that. And so Isaiah is one of those people, and he, if, if, if you go through like First um, and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, there's the story of all these different kings, but then there, the, the prophets, what I call the prophetic books, the prophetic books fit at various places in the history of Israel. And so Isaiah fits within that history, and he fits in the, in the history of when Israel is about to be destroyed, by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. So it's, a, it's kind of a rough time for Israel. And it's a rough time to be a prophet. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, and seraphim were, were burning angels. It's hard to tell if they were like, you know, kind of like, a snake-type being with, with wings all around, or if they're more of a human-looking being. But anyway, they were fire beings. The, the term seraphim means literally fire beings. And each had six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And feet is kind of a euphemism sometimes for um, private parts. So it could have been that. With two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. That was one rock and church service, right? Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth, and he says, See... This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who, who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Here, over here, over here. And he said, Go and tell this people. Be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused and make their ears dull. And close their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, for how long? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted, until the fields are ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it too will be laid Waste, But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed 
will be the stump in the land. Lord, bless your words today. And it should have said right after that. And after that, Isaiah um, recanted his here I am, send me message. Isn't that a challenging message? You say, here I am, send me. And then God says, okay, I will send you. But nobody's going to listen to you. Nobody's going to respond to you. In fact, if anything, their hearts are going to become even harder as you speak to them. What a challenging message, isn't it? And yet I think many of us have had people that we've tried to share with or you know, an alcoholic spouse or child or something and we've tried to work with them and instead of getting better, it seems like their hearts just get harder and harder. And it doesn't seem like it's doing anything. And yet that was Isaiah's very call. And so I want to I look at his call today and I want to speak about a couple things, about um, how we... Because we, we live, in some ways, we live in a, in a similar time to Isaiah in that we live in, in a times of uncertainty. I remember, and some of you remember, right after 9-11. You know, people remember where they were. I was actually here. And I remember hearing something weird, how much Internet stuff we had back then. But, but I, and I remember seeing this thing, and it was just like, kind of shock, like, wow, really? And I remember calling Teresa and calling Bethany and seeing, making sure they were okay. And it was just something that shook us up because we had been living in, in general comfort and things were going really well and, and all of a sudden this weird thing happens and we're like, what is, what is this? And people were shaken. And things were not the same after that. And then I remember when, when this, you know, not even in our, in, in our more recent history, when, when, when COVID came and, and suddenly things began shutting down and we began getting reports of just hundreds of thousands of people dying and and of there being lines of dead bodies outside of New York City and various other places. And, it, and again, the world changed. And things happen. And it's into all of this that Isaiah is given his call. And it isn't even really a call, it's more of a volunteer. He volunteers. This is one of the few places in Scripture where somebody says, here I am, send me. Isn't it? And yet the one who says, here I am, send me, gives us one of the most beautiful and powerful prophetic books in all of Scripture. I mean, almost all of the prophetic um, pronouncements about the coming of the Messiah are taken from Isaiah. The lion will lie down with the lamb. And a little child will lead them. The mountains and the hills will, will clap their hands and sing for joy at the coming of the Lord. There's this, this picture after picture. And so the first thing that happens is that Isaiah needs to experience, and if we want to be people, and by the way, this is what I think God is calling us to in this passage. I think he's calling us to be a people of hope in a despairing world. 
to be a people of hope in a despairing world. That we can be people who can bring hope to people in the midst of, of when, when everything's being shaken, when the economy gets shaken, when politics gets shaken, when everything else gets shaken, that we can be a people of hope. How can we do that? How could Isaiah do that? And the first thing Isaiah needed was to experience the holiness and greatness and glory of God. And so God, for Isaiah, he kind of pulls back the curtain, so to speak. You know on, how on the Wizard of Oz they pull back the curtain and they, they, you know, it's all, there's all these pyrotechnics. I am the great and powerful Oz. And then they pull back the curtain and there's just this little guy back there singing into a microphone. Well, it's kind of the reverse of that with Isaiah. They get the, the curtain pulled back, and Isaiah's thinking, you know, kind of it's a little rinky-dink thing, and suddenly he's faced with the holy God. And it says, In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. I thought nobody could see the Lord and live. That we become undone when we see the holy. We become undone when we encounter... I've had, I've had some, some glimpses and some just, you know, probably little corner encounters with God. And they're, they're, they're overwhelming. They're, it's overwhelming to encounter something that's completely other completely other than anything else we've experienced in life. Completely other. I, that's, all I, that's the best I could use to describe it. The, the most other experience you could ever experience. And that's what Isaiah is experiencing here. He said, first of all, that God is high and lifted up, high and exalted. In the train of his robe filled the temple. So Isaiah in some ways doesn't even give us images so much of, of what God looked like. All, pretty much he, he's just enthralled with the train. The train means like the robe kind of thing. You know, the, like when brides have a, a wedding train kind of thing that trails behind him. That his is so big it fills up the whole temple. Isaiah goes to cool books. And they do some really cool descriptive things about the angels. And, and they probably have some of the best images. Because, because you know, as much as people you know, want to find out is there extraterrestrial life, are there aliens, da-da-da-da-da-da. To me, that's, I mean, that's cool. You know, I, don't, I don't know if there are. I'm sure there probably are somewhere. But the fact is, we have, we have this whole book that talks about not just you know, extraterrestrial beings, but extra beings that come not even from our realm. They come from a realm beyond our realm. They come from God's kingdom. They come from a whole different universe. And so encountering God and being connected with God shouldn't be some kind of boring experience. It's like, no, I mean, this is like some really, wow. This is like, wow. 
There have been a few times when I've encountered the wow, where you're just kind of speechless. And so the first thing that, that, that Isaiah needs to encounter is, is the greatness and the glory of God because Isaiah is encountering the brokenness of humanity. When we were sitting there, we, did, we were with um, my daughter Bethany and her, her boyfriend Brent. His name is Brent and his dad's name is Brent and one of his cousin's husband's name is Brent and so we're starting a Brent coalition. If anybody is named Brent and wants to join, you can join the Brent coalition. Um, and we're planning on taking over the world. Yes, indeed we are. But anyway, um, you know, we're sitting there and, and I'm just thinking, first of all, I'm praying, I'm praying, Lord, please, please raise her up. I always pray that when I'm with somebody, because you never know. God can do that stuff. I've seen him do that stuff, actually. I've been part of him doing that stuff. But he didn't choose to, at least in that sense. But we see this, this darkness, and, and in that we need to have a really big picture of God. We need, to, we need to have a big encounter with God to be able to face some of the darkness and difficulty and challenges we face in life. And we need to have a genuine encounter with the one true God. God needs to move, as Tim Keller says, from being a concept to being a reality. It's one thing to experience God as a concept. It's another thing to experience God as a reality. I shared with you before when Teresa and I were dating, which was a very interesting, weird kind of thing, because we were both, I was a new recovered alcoholic, and she was, she was Teresa, um, and we were... <laughs> We were going through all this stuff, you know, and she was, and we were going, and we we had only been dating for a few months, and I had told her, I think I told her already that I felt like God wanted me to marry her, and so she's like, oh great, yeah, that's like, it's like just what you want, you know, somebody to tell you who's has whatever a year of sobriety and or whatever, and uh, and it's you know at that time I was kind of a rail, I weighed about 145 pounds because I lived on cigarettes and coffee. And, and, and she had an encounter with God in the midst of that. And she was coming to see me once, and she was actually dating somebody else at the same time, which I thought was horrible. I was like, and some of you that have been here know that, how horrible that. I was like, you, you can't date two people. And she goes, yeah, until you're married, you can, you can date two people. I'm like, you can't do that. It's not a, it says somewhere, I don't know where, but, you know, it's like, it's like not okay. This is not okay. I mean... You know, anyway. So, so one day she's coming to see me, and she asks God, she just says, God, what, what do you want me to do? And this was, this was crucial in, in me coming to Christ, but also in her life. She felt like God said, why should I tell you? Because you're going to do whatever you want anyway. And it was like, wow. Wow. And so she came and she kind of felt like God said, You should go with the first guy, who's, I won't call him by his name, but it started with an R and ended with an Eid. Um, but um, anyway, uh, she, 
she came and she to, she told me she she did the she did why don't we be friends talk which is isn't that the worst talk ever you know honey you know Brian I I really like you why don't we just stay friends I'm like I, I don't kiss my friends you you kissed me you you already broke the friend rule you we you know we kissed and I was mad and I was angry and I was upset but that was Teresa's one of her not her only encounter with God, but that was one of the moments of encounter that she had. Like Isaiah's. And it was during that time, and because she did that, that I had to go seeking, because up until that time, I had had, and literally didn't realize it, but kind of my, one of my last addictions that God was dealing with, I would, you know, after that, learn how to develop many more kinds of addictions, but God was dealing with my alcoholism. He had gotten me sober, but I, I, I had always had a girlfriend since I was about 13. And God was stripping me of everything, including that. And so she pulled away, and that which I thought was my future, I thought, God, this is my future. This is what you want. Come on, God. And, and Teresa said no. And so that summer I had to, to begin to kind of go out into this barren darkness but it was into that barren darkness that I encountered the living God. And I don't know what your encounter with God looks like, but I think, you know, for Isaiah, he'd prophesied for six, five chapters, but then chapter six, he encounters the living God. And he encounters him in church. Why do we do these songs that we do? Just because we like to sing. You know, some people are like, why do you guys sing so many songs? It's like, well, because we're not singing them to, we're not singing them because we really like music, although we do. We're not singing them because they sound really cool. We're singing them because we're trying to get into, to, to not manipulate God to coming to us, but to, to quiet our hearts so that we can encounter the living God. Because we need to have God encounter us. And so the first thing that we need is we need an experience of the greatness of God. And secondly, we need to experience, and what happens with Isaiah is he's actually given a glimpse of what's really happening during worship. Do you realize that when you're sitting here and worshiping, something's going on more than just a bunch of kind of you know, young, old, and middle-aged people singing songs? There's some stuff going on. If you could unzip this world and look into the kingdom of God, you would see something spectacular. And it would, it would literally shake the doorposts of your life. We need to realize our own and the world's depravity. Another thing that is required, and this is a requirement too, if you want to be in ministry, if, you're call, if you feel called to do ministry, you cannot go into ministry without realizing how broken you are and how broken the people are that you're going to be working with. Because if you go into it, think because Isaiah was probably raised, most scholars think that Isaiah was raised in the, in the royal family. He was, part, he was one of Uzziah's relatives. And so he kind of grew up in this privileged situation. And so he probably thought of himself as pretty good. I'm a pretty good guy. Not like these sinners out there. And we always think that we're pretty good until we encounter somebody who's 
the very definition of good, right? When I first moved here, early on in our, in our history here, it was pretty fun because I, I played hockey in Minnesota. And so I moved to Ohio, and, and some of the young guys in church found out that I played hockey in Minnesota. And they, hey, we play pickup games with some of the old players from, from um, Bowling Green. And if you know Bowling Green, they got a pretty good hockey team. You know, they, they're in uh, Division One, I, I think. You know, they're they're a good hockey team. He said we play with some of the old players from Division, you know, and we do pickup games. You want to come and do a pickup game? And back then I was young, and I could still move my body. And and I'm like, yeah, sure. So I go out there. And it was, it was really fun because I was amazing. I mean, I was like really good. You know, they were like, oh my gosh, you know, and I'm playing against some guys that had played in college and, you know, at Division I level and stuff. And they're, they're like, man, you are really good. And I'm like, I am really good, you know, it's really good. So then I made the mistake of going back to Minnesota. And in Minnesota, we go back over Christmas time. And my parents lived on a lake and they, we'd clear out this big ice rink. And all my nephews were there, and we have a lot of nephews and nieces. And my nephews were there, and they're all like probably from 10 to 15 or 14 at that point. And so we're playing hockey with them too. You know, we go out and we start playing hockey, and I'm like, I am getting my butt handed to me. You know, like literally, these little, you know, 10 and 11 year olds are going, doo, 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 doo. And, and I realize, okay, I suck. You know, I am really, at best, a mediocre at hockey. The difference was the scale, who I was comparing myself to, right? In Minnesota, I was, I was literally a very, and I kind of thought that when I moved here even, I thought, yeah, I'm a pretty mediocre hockey player. I knew that in Minnesota, but I kind of forgot it when I came here because I was around people that were, just not that great at hockey. And so it's like it was pretty easy to feel like it was like it was like it was like being the smartest man on an island of idiots, you know? It's like, hey, I'm pretty smart. It's like and then you go and you go to like the island of Einstein or something and it's like, oh I'm not smart at all. And so for you do you get this? By the way, the, the one of the things I discovered that even if, even if you discover that you're really not that great at hockey and your, niece, your, little, your nephews that are like 10 to 14 or 15 are amazing. I mean, can sk- literally skate circles around you. The one thing you still have is, and this was the benefit of kind of getting semi-big and semi-fat, is that you can squish them. And so instead of being able to, we were playing non-checking hockey, and so I would just bash them and lay on them. And they were like, Uncle Brent, this is not... We're not playing. We're not, we're not playing checking hockey. And I'm like, I am. I said, you guys are kicking my butt. I'm going to use any advantage I got. So anyway, the reason I bring that up is, first of all, it was pretty funny. Secondly, I bring it up because it's a, it's a even a, a, a touch of a picture of Isaiah, who thought he, probably he was pretty good, and suddenly he's brought into the literal presence of God, and he, real, he realizes what real holiness is, and he realizes that, oh, I am undone. I am unmade. Woe is me is a, is a sign that I'm going to be destroyed. I'm going to be unmade. Because I've encountered the living God, and, and I have seen what... What true holiness is, 
And holiness isn't just somebody who's a, you know, a, you know, doesn't drink and doesn't smoke and all that. That's, that's not really what he's talking about with holiness. With, with holiness, he's talking about being complete and whole and pure and, and right, being, being right. And God is the epitome of that. And when he encounters the living God, Isaiah's, his, his very words, the amazing words that he speaks are this. What was me? I cried. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king. And the reason he used his lips is he was already a prophet. He was already a speaker. He thought he was probably pretty good at communicating truth. And so when he encounters God, he realizes he's not. He's nothing. And right at that moment, the angel comes with the coal from the temple. And we usually think of, sometimes we think of coal and fire as something that purifies. During those days, coal and fire represented the judgment of God falling on somebody. And so Isaiah's going, okay, here it comes. I'm done. But instead, the, the, the angel takes the coal and touches his lips. And he says, He says this. See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. It's just an, a beautiful, amazing picture. It's like, like one um, writer said. It was, it was Isaiah's kind of come-to-Jesus moment, Literally. And instead of being judged, instead of being, you know, just destroyed, God came to him and brought forgiveness and mercy. Behold, you've been made clean. This is touch your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Atoned means somebody paid for it. It's taken care of, it's done. Your sin is atoned for. Do you know that when you encounter the living God, your sin is atoned for? There's no more working it out. There's no more like, okay, I just, if I'm just good enough, then God will receive me. No, God has to come from that with that fire from heaven and touch us and make us clean. That's the only way we're, we're made clean. Cleanse me, O Lord, and I will be cleansed. Heal me, and I'll be healed. So we need to realize our own and the world's depravity and, the, and our own brokenness. And, and that's the only way that we're going to be able to minister well because, you know, if you go into this thing and you think, you know what, I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I'm not as bad a sinner as this person. That's, that's so... So wrong. When I go into this, I go into it like, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. You know, I go into this ministering because I'm not, I'm not better than you. I am one with you in this, and so, and so I, that's Isaiah's experience. He he encounters God. He experiences, and he, and and we too need to experience the grace of God. And the grace of God ultimately in the atonement comes from what Jesus did. 
There's a passage in the New Testament that says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of God. And so this journey for us needs to be one of recognition of our brokenness and a recognition of God's ability to make us whole. And last of all, we need to be a people of hope. Now, I, God's told Isaiah that you're going to go pre... Part of your, your ministry basically is just going to be one to harden people's hearts, which sounds really harsh, doesn't it? He said, you're going to go speak this, but instead of responding to it, the people are going to... Just their hearts are just going to become harder and harder. Wouldn't wouldn't that be challenging? If you know, in our day and age of church growth, and and we have metrics, you know, they they're always having us do our metrics on our church. How many how much how many people have you reached? How much church growth have you had? How much how many you know? Can you imagine when when Isaiah sends his metrics to the district headquarters? You know, here's your here's your metrics, Isaiah Isaiah. You know, new new converts zero. People responding to the message zero. Any other comments? Yeah, but they tried to kill me a bunch of times. And you know that at the end of Isaiah's life, after after years of ministry, you can read through the all of the um, the whole book of Isaiah. I mean, he amazing prophetic things. But at the very end, most most people think that they finally, the kings finally got sick of his prophetic words against them, and so they stuffed him in a log and they cut him in half. That's where the, the whole, you know that thing where magicians cut the person in half, you know, but Isaiah didn't come out whole. He just was in half. That was the end of Isaiah's life. Why did Isaiah say, here I am, send me? Because he had encountered the living God. And his energy was not built. His, his faithfulness was not based on the fact that he got to see, oh, you know what, I, it's been really hard, but I got to see this thing happen. And, and, I'm, and I'm really thankful when I get to see things happen. But to be honest, a lot of the ministry that we do, like Jesus said, is like the parable of the sower. We're worth throwing seeds out. We're throwing seeds up. You, a lot of you are throwing seeds out. You may never get to see the result of some of those seeds. And I want to encourage you today that that doesn't mean that something's not happening. Because what happened in the middle of all of that with Isaiah is that it said, out of the stump, you know, there's going to be, people are going to not listen, not listen, not listen. But you know what? Out of that is going to come this one seed. And this one seed is going to grow. And guess what? He's going to transform the whole world. And guess what, Isaiah? Thousands of years later, your words are going to be spoken at Christmas For thousands of years, from, from the very birth of Christ, your words are going to be spoken. 
And guess what, Isaiah? Your words are going to be used in church after church after church to transform people's lives. And guess what, Isaiah? When God himself comes down into this world in the person of Jesus, guess what, Isaiah? Guess, guess whose words Jesus is going to use to start his ministry. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has called me to proclaim good news to the poor. Release for the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. Guess what, Isaiah? Your words are going to give encouragement to this little church in Wycliffe, Ohio. And lives are going to be changed because of that. And guess what, Isaiah? Your words are going to be used to help thousands and millions of people continue on in ministry because they're going to realize that some of those seeds that they're sowing are going to drop and they're going to grow and they're going to flourish. Some of you know some of you know Tom Wadsworth. Tom's a good friend of mine. He was Tom was literally the first person, first kind of new person to come into the church when I came. And he came in and we were and I was like, Yay, we got we got a new person. <laughs> a new person. And I felt like God said, Go go spend time with him. So I so I began meeting with him at lunch. And I felt like God said, Disciple him. And I'm like, Okay. How do you do that? I don't know how to do that. But I did. And I just spent time with him. And it was a journey. And then eventually Tom came on staff. And then eventually Tom went over to the west side and began helping them plant a church. And then eventually Tom went on staff there. And then after that, Tom began working in Tanzania and working with multiples of pastors See, I will plant a seed, and it will grow. And so I want to encourage you to be a people of hope. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebeth and the oak leaf stumps when they're cut down, so the holy seed will be a stump in the land. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with his breath his lips will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness will be the sash around his waist. The wolf will lie down with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and the little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, and their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and the infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither... Harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge and the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. And that is the hope that we have to look forward to. Amen.
So, if any of you this morning want prayer, if you feel like, you know what, I'm not sure I've really had an encounter with God, I want to invite you. We'd, we'd be glad to pray for you. If some of you are discouraged because you feel like, man, nobody's listening. I've been throwing seeds out there for a long time. Nothing's happening. I feel like God wants to just encourage you. And he wants to give you a bigger picture of who he is. Father, just come and do that. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.